Hey, this is Edward Stevens from the Stevens Group at Reese Nichols. Listen, I started this recording just a little bit late. In the future, I will do a better job. But listen, in this video slash audio, what you're going to learn about is the seven myths that you as a homeowner probably still believe when you're negotiating with a buyer. So I want to alleviate those. I want to jump right into this presentation right now. And remember to share this and let me know what feedback you have. Thanks a lot. All right. So the biggest in this video, I'm going to reveal what is the biggest problem that you're going to have when you're negotiating with a buyer. And then the three ways that you can instantly improve your negotiation with a buyer, with the buyer of your home. Instantly, boom, instantly. Okay, so how do we do that? By the way, if any time you guys like this video, there's something that's interesting to you about this video, feel free to like the video. If you're on Instagram, feel free to drop a heart, Facebook, click the like button, or if you're on one of the other platform um, watching the stream, then go ahead and click whatever the button is to say that you like it. Share this video if you think that somebody that you know of is gonna be getting some value out of it. So let's jump into this thing. Myth number one, pre-approved versus pre-qualification. And I don't mean pre-qualification as far as a lender. I mean pre-qualification as far as a sale. Just because, number one, rule number one, just because a buyer's not pre-approved doesn't mean they're not qualified to buy your house. Now, this is a problem that a lot of real estate agents have. A lot of people are thinking, well, uh, I don't want to show any homes to buyers unless they are already talking to a lending institution and they've got something in hand that says they can buy a home. Since I'm not really making this video so much for buyers, agents, and real estate agents, I'm making it more for you if you're buying a home or if you're going to be selling your home. I want to kind of take this from the perspective of you have a home to sell. Okay, so what, what, is, what is going to be one of the myths that you're going to have is that a buyer is going to come in and if they don't have something from a credible lending institution saying they're going to buy your house, you should dismiss them. That's a myth and a lot of people, I would say the majority of people out looking at houses right now are not pre-approved with a lending institution. And yet some of them are going to get pre-approved when they find the right house. It's a struggle that a lot of real estate agents, including myself, have trouble with because you, know, you're, you try to uh, get people to understand the importance of getting pre-approved on the front end and talking to that lending institution on the front end. But until people, a lot of people get sufficiently motivated by looking at the house that they want, they may not take the 10 or 15 minutes to go ahead and talk to a lender. Plus, a lot of lenders make it really difficult to even go through the pre-approval process. So they don't even, I mean, they don't bother. If a buyer comes in and says they may be interested in your home, calls you on the phone and says they may be interested, your objective on that call is to set an appointment for them to see the home. And if, especially with for sale by owners, meaning those, aid, those people who don't use a real estate agent when they're selling their home, the qualification process that you guys are using on the phone sucks. And you should be thinking about set this appointment, get this person in, whether or not they're pre-approved should not come up on the phone. There's a lot of questions that you can ask on the phone, whether or not you're pre-approved isn't really one of them. Okay, second is something from the old 
uh, market, which is just because you don't have 20% to put down doesn't mean you're any more or less likely to close on the transaction. A lot of, I don't want to stereotype here, but a lot of older people, people who've, you know, it's been 20 or 25 years since they've purchased a home. Remember what I'm talking about in the good old days when you couldn't do a loan for three and a half percent down. You couldn't do a loan with 5% down. And the, the whole idea for a lot of home sellers, maybe you're included, is that you're, you're expecting these people to come in with 20, 30, 50% down payment and have all this money. Well, times have changed. There's a lot of people who are buying and making moves, but they're doing, doing it with no money down, with 3% down on a 3% conventional loan, 3.5% down on an FHA loan, or another popular option is a 5% conventional loan. That's the majority, in, in, unless you're dealing with luxury real estate, that's the majority of people. If you're not prepared to deal with the majority of people because you feel like um, you're, you're only wanting to sell to somebody who's got a lot of money to put down, you're missing a lot of opportunities to deal with people. You're missing a lot of opportunities to, to sell your home to a buyer who may actually pay you more money. And I think a lot of that myth is coming from a time when, you know, if you didn't have a lot of money, if you were cash poor, and I don't mean that you're poor or a buyer's poor, but just if you don't have a lot of cash that... Uh, you come across as desperate and you may not have the money to, you may not have even that much money to close. There's no correlation. I want to tell you, I want to tell you, you heard it first here. There's no correlation between the amount of money you put down and your ability to close a loan uh, or your willingness to close a loan. It's just not, it's just not there. So it, so that myth needs to be blown out of the water and forgot about. Do not screen people out because of how much money they have to put down. Myth number three is what is important to you is not important to them. This is like a key in selling. And if you're selling your home yourself, you are the sales force behind getting the deal done. If you're thinking about using a real estate agent, make sure your real estate agent knows this. What is important to you is likely not important to the buyer. Case in point. Case in point here. Um, a lot of people selling their home think that the buyer is going to have an issue with the price. That's pretty common. I'm afraid that the buyer is not going to go for my price. Okay, let the buyer tell you that. And just by you know disregarding all your preconceived notions of what you think is important to them, uh, you will keep deals alive longer. You'll have more opportunities to deal with buyers, and that's what it's all about. It's not about trying to find one buyer for your home. Remember, it's a numbers game just like anything in sales. It's about getting the most number of people interested in your home and so they have the most offers and so you, you can pick the very best one. Um, you don't want to tell people, for example, go on and on and on about things that are not important. Don't go in there and start selling your home based on school district if they haven't already told you the school district's important to them. Don't start, I mean, I see a lot of people, in fact, I was at a, it was at a house about a week and a half ago, and the guy went on and on and on and on about his roof, and he went on about his, his HVAC. The buyers didn't care about that. The buyers cared about bedroom sizes, they cared about lot, where, the, where they were on the lot, you know, what the shape and the, and the location was of the lot. 
They cared about the square footage and they cared about the, the layout of the basement. The seller did not know those things. The seller did not ask those things. And as a result, um, he was less effective in selling that deal to me and my buyers. Okay. Um, that seller happened to be unrepresented. So, and that may be you at some case, at some point, you know, and you need to know um, that by asking effective questions, you'll be able to get to those and we'll follow it. We'll, we'll come back to that in a minute, but don't assume what's important to you is important to them. Next, next myth is regarding earnest money. So I have seen more people get burned with this earnest money thing than just about any other thing in a transaction where there's no agent involved. So if you're thinking about selling your house and you sell it, especially to an unrepresented buyer, the death rattle of a deal is I'm still working to get you that earnest money deposit. I'm going to get you that earnest money deposit next week. I'm going to write you that check next week. That is like the stairway to heaven for most deals. It's not going to happen. And if I were you, which I'm not, but if I were you and I were selling a home myself, I didn't have an agent involved, I would not accept a contract unless that person had a checkbook, wrote the check out, not post dated, but wrote the check out and the check were deposited at a title company. Once it's deposited, then I would go ahead and have the, the contract fully executed. There's too many sellers out there. You may have had this happen to you in the past. You accept a deal on the good faith of a buyer and on um, the idea that they're gonna write you an earnest money deposit in the future. Earnest money deposits are so important because, uh, and I, I'll tell you a story. There was a, um, there was a deal that I, that I know about. I wasn't directly involved in it, but I heard about it from another agent who you know I I uh, actually is on my team, and so this listing exists out there uh, in the market, and it actually was inspected by a buyer who didn't have an earnest money deposit on the home. They had brought an inspector in. They hadn't done any earnest money deposit. They have the sellers didn't have anything to show for it, and the inspector found some problems with the house. The buyer decided not to even make an offer. Now the seller has to disclose these problems that they know about and it's going to be even harder for them to sell their home now and they don't even have anything to show for it. If they had gotten an earnest money deposit first, possibly the contract could have been written so that that earnest money would be non-refundable and the sellers would at least have something to go something to show for their pain of losing that buyer and having to reboot that that deal. So hopefully that makes sense to you guys. Um, do not take a promise. Real estate is is in writing for a reason, and we will get to that again in a moment. And actually, we're gonna just transition into that right now. The next myth, which would be myth number two, three, I think we're at five right now, is verbal contracts are enforceable. I'm not an attorney, but most real estate attorneys are gonna tell you, and certainly we've learned this in real estate schooling, do not, do not, do not make any kind of agreements unless they are in writing. In the world of real estate, verbal contracts are unenforceable. What does that mean? It means if you are making a proposal to a buyer, a buyer comes in, they love your house, 
and they say they want to buy your house, they say they want to offer a certain amount of money, you have to get it in writing, preferably as quickly as possible. The longer you wait, the more likelihood that they're not going to agree later on that you will have misinterpreted what they said. And that way, if you get it down immediately, you know they can make a decision immediately. So you have to be able to get off of this, the laziness that comes with negotiating a deal. And that's what this is. You know, making the offer is part of the negotiation. We're talking about the seven myths you may still have in your mind when you're negotiating with a home buyer. This is one of them. Verbal contracts are worthless. And if you think otherwise, just talk to some of the people who've lost out on homes because they had a verbal offer accepted, but they didn't have it in writing and somebody else ended up stealing or buying the house out from under them. And they will be able to tell you much more uh, enthusiastically than I am telling you right now. Next, next. Another one when it comes to laziness is when buyers are given the option to choose their own colors, their own paint colors, their own carpet, their own uh, countertops, their own backsplash, because you as the seller do not have the energy or the wherewithal or the knowledge to go out into um, the market and pull this data and, and, and pick out the, the right swatches for your house. Let me rephrase that. When you have a house that needs updating and maybe you're getting some kind of feedback from buyers that you need new counters, you need a new backsplash, you need a new, um, you need new carpet. What a lot of sellers say, no offense, what a lot of older people say, because you know, it takes a lot of energy to sell a house most times, is that I don't want to guess for my future buyer. I'd rather let them make the decision. And it sounds logical, but it really is just a justification for your own um, laziness is what it is. In the end, most people don't like to make decisions. That's just the world in which we live. That's just human nature. Most people will go with what is trending. What's trending, what's popular, what's in vogue is what, what you should be picking out for your home. Unless you have a very unique home that requires maybe the artistic touch of an interior decorator or you know somebody with a very specialized knowledge, you could likely bring in um, somebody who's a contractor to give you some advice, make a decision, and tastefully update your home. And it's a myth that you should keep your home not updated and let the buyer do all of that work for themselves. And there is a caveat to that. The caveat is unless you're willing to pay for the buyer's time and trouble. And if, you, if you're willing to pay for the buyer's time and trouble, not just pay for you know, whatever countertops they may want. Let's say you, know, you don't have granite countertops and granite countertops are the in thing. Let's say you have you know, a backsplash that's out of date. Let's say your carpet's extremely worn. You will need to pay not only for those things to be replaced, but you'll also have to pay for the time and the trouble that the buyer is going to go through in order to fix your home, their new home. If you're willing to do all that, then maybe you go ahead, reduce the price, give them a credit, and make that happen. Next myth, which I believe is the, the last myth that I've got listed here, is I don't need to show my home for backups. 
And that comes from, again, laziness, but it's a myth. Now, a lot of listing agents understand what I mean when I say show a house for backups. It means you have an offer that's accepted on a listing and you continue to show buyers anyway in the hopes that you'll generate interest from those other buyers and they may write an offer that's considered a backup offer and then you can keep that offer in your back pocket if anything happens, shaky happens with your first contract in hand, you may have an opportunity to swap out this buyer for your new buyer. That's the essence of it. When you are selling your home yourself, a lot of times you put too much faith into that buyer who has a contract on your home. I'd say in, in most circumstances, those buyers that are buying a home from a for sale by owner and there is no agent involved are most likely to not be able to close on time. They're not they're the most likely to not be able to close at all on a deal because real estate agents, if they're good at, if they're good for one thing, it's being able to close a deal without an agent involved, a lot less likely to close that deal. So by creating an opportunity, maybe with open houses to show the, show your home, your home for backups. So to have other people come in and generate interest, you not only have an opportunity to maybe get a better offer, but you may also generate the competition. And we'll talk about that in a minute that you may need to keep that first contract on track. Maybe a person's wavering and they're thinking, well, I don't really know if I want the house or anything. Um, you might be able to keep them on track with that. I want to stop right here and let you guys know that if you guys are interested in getting a valuation for your home, you know, springtime's coming up, a lot of people, maybe even yourself, are thinking about getting into the real estate market, putting your house out there and seeing what it would go for. Or maybe you've got big plans to move and you, you, you know you need to go to another state. Maybe you've got a job change coming up. Do this. Go to estevens.reesnichols.com. And in the contact, there'll be a contact me button at the top on the right hand side. Fill out your information on there and put C M A in the comments. And if you do that, I'll be able to reach out to you with and give you an updated valuation for your home. Now you can take that as an initial assessment of what you'd be able to, what you'd be able to net if you decided to ever sell. And that's a great report to have that's way, way, way easier than go, I guess I should say it's not way easier, but it's certainly way more reliable than going on to Zillow or using the tax records to tell you what your house is actually worth. Let a professional tell you what it's worth. And then we can have a further discussion if you so choose, but there's no strings attached. Just go to estevens.reesnichols.com. That's E Stevens, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S dot Reese Nichols, R-E-E-C-E-N-I-C-H-O-L-S.com. Under the contact me button at the top right hand side, just put the information in and put the word C-M-A, the letter C-M-A in the comment section and I'll get with you and make sure that you have that valuation on your home. Now, next I want to talk about the biggest problem negotiating with a home buyer. The biggest problem, the single biggest problem in negotiating with a home buyer. Any guesses on what it is? It's that you don't know the motivation and the thoughts in the other person's mind. If you don't have an agent uh, involved, 
it's going to be your goal, one of your goals, it should be, to understand where the other person is coming from. Understand what is really motivating these people to, to buy your home. If you don't know that, it's going to be very difficult for you to keep a deal together. It's going to be very difficult for you to close on a deal uh, or keep these people interested. Okay, And as an aside, real estate agents, another thing that they're really good at keeping a deal together is one, making it close, right? Closing a deal. That's one because that's what they're paid to do. But the other thing is to uncover the best real estate agents, the best salespeople. It's to uncover the hidden motivations of the buyer. And we will talk in a moment about how to do that. But without being able to effectively understand that buyer's position, what is going on inside of that other person's mind, it's almost impossible to sell them. Okay, and if you have if you have ever sold your home before, um, you're probably uh, you probably understand what I'm talking about. So now I want to move on to maybe some solutions. Okay, we talked about the myths, and just to go through and run through them real quick, are number one, being not being pre-approved doesn't mean that you're not qualified, the buyer's not qualified to buy your house. Just because they don't have a pre-approval letter doesn't mean they can't buy your house. Number two, buyers with less money to put down are less likely to be, you know, closing on your house. They're less able to close on your house. The buyer that doesn't have 20% to put down. Turns out that's a myth. Just because they only have five or three or 0% to put down, they may actually be more motivated to buy your house. Don't worry about how much money they have to put down. Next is number three, what's important to you isn't important to them more than likely, okay? Uh, that feeds into what we've been talking about. Do not assume that what's important to you, the new roof that you put on, the new siding, the whatever, is what they care about. Number four, don't take any promises to take the earnest money deposit tomorrow, next week, next month. It kills deals. It lets, it's a slow death. It's like watching an animal bleed out. That's what it is to watch a deal with the earnest money uh, stairway to heaven. Five is a verbal contract is not enforceable. Do not, do not think that you have any kind of agreement in, in, in the minds of anybody other than, you know, your own dreams unless it's in writing and it's signed by everybody. Next, number six is, this is a myth. Letting the buyer pick out what they like is a myth. It's to cover up for you as a possible seller's laziness, okay? Do the right thing. Go ahead and get the property updated and in show-ready condition. Refoto it and put it out there and sell it. And number seven, not showing your house for backups. And that means not generating the interest after that initial deal has gone, come together and gone under contract. Not generating sufficient interest to... Um, to keep that buyer, that first buyer on track, thinking that that buyer is the only buyer that you need to close the deal and assuming he'll with 100% certainty close on closing day. And of course, the biggest problem is that you don't know what the buyer is thinking. If you don't know what the buyer is thinking, it's very difficult to help that buyer. You have to know what they're thinking. And you also have to think about things. You know, a lot of people resist thinking like a salesperson when they sell their house themselves. 
embrace it. For the time, for this short window, you're gonna be a professional salesperson if you're choosing to sell your, sell your house yourself. If you're thinking about employing an agent, just make sure you're asking these questions of your agent or that your agent's at least skilled enough in these areas to be able to um, execute on them and they know these myths uh, if and when they present themselves. You know, that's, what you're, that's one of the things you're hiring them for. And we've already talked about, uh, you know, the CMA, which we'll talk about again at the end, which uh, leads me to my next thing. Three ways that you can easily improve a negotiation with a home buyer. Super simple. Okay. The first one is ask meaningful questions and listen to their responses. Okay. Meaningful questions are not, where do you work? That is not a meaningful question, and yet most people who sell their home ask the buyer where they work. Stupid. It doesn't matter where the person works. That's not, you're not in your home showing your house at six o'clock on a Friday night to a stranger to know where this person works. I'm just keeping it real. You need to find out information that's gonna get you closer to a sale. When do you need to be in your next home? Do you have a home to sell? Are you looking at any other homes in this neighborhood? What brought you to my home initially? Have you seen, I mean, what, what, what things do you like about my home so far? Questions like that will yield far more valuable information than asking rapport building questions. When you're selling your home, it's not so important for you to build rapport. It's more important for you to understand where that person is coming from and what they need and what they're looking for in your house. You can improve a negotiation by doing that, by, by not only asking the question, but also listening. And a, a minute about this listening thing is I heard a sales trainer many years ago say that, um, if you guys heard this term, Freudian slip. So the Freudian slip is that if you listen to somebody talk for long enough, you will uncover their hidden motivations for buying. And, and that means that you will have the golden key that you need to do the deal if you so choose to do the deal. Now, you only understand um, what that motivation is if you really, really listen. Most people can't listen. They don't, they don't hear people. They ask questions. If they ask them at all, the answers fly right by them like cars on a highway and they miss it. But if you listen, a, a buyer will give you what you are asking for in terms of uh, hidden motivation. Use that to your advantage in number two as the number two thing so if we're going moving on to number two, the number two thing you can do to instantly improve a negotiation is take the benefits of your home, not the features, the benefits of your home and line them up with the motivations of the buyer. And here's what I mean by that. Buyer says, hey, I'm looking for, and by the way, this is, this, you, you've got one house to sell more than likely. More than likely, you've got one house to sell, that's it. You can't show them the house down the street. You can't show them the house in the subdivision on the other side of the highway. You have to show them this one house. So if you understand what it is they're looking for, you'll be able to do what I'm about to tell you, which is use the benefits that you know about in the house. It's on a, 
It's on a quiet street so your kids can uh, play in the driveway. You don't have to worry about them getting hit by cars. It's a benefit. Um, the neighbors are all super nice, so you're going to have a lot of fun socially. And they're very outgoing, so you're going to have plenty to do. Okay, that's a benefit. That's a benefit. Um, you know, the home has been, it's been totally redone with all kinds of warranties on it. So you can sleep sound at night knowing that if anything goes wrong, which it probably won't, you're going to be able to call somebody. You won't have to worry about it, take off work or whatever um, to deal with all these issues. Those are benefits. Now, you don't give people these benefits ideally until you understand what their motivations are. So if a person says, you know, I'm a single mom, I, I have to work a full-time job. I don't have a lot of time to spend on, you know, a lot of home upgrades and things because I've got these two kids, you know, I spend a lot of time with them and I spend a lot of time at work. That would be a great opportunity as an example to go ahead and say, you know what, this home's already ready to go. It's already been totally uh, remodeled and there's home warranties on the HVAC, the water heater, the roof is brand new, it's under warranty. You're likely not gonna have any issues. And if you even did, here are the people that you could contact, but the place is in excellent shape, it's got great bones. That's an example of matching a benefit the person may have, or a benefit you have for your home with the need or the motivation of a buyer. By doing that over and over and over and over again, in the conversation with the buyer, you will make them buy your house. Or if there's any shot at all, they will want to make, they will want to make an offer on your house. Okay. But it requires listening. So ask more questions and listen to the answers is one to match the benefits of your home with the motivations of the buyer. And number three, and I cannot stress this enough, create a sense of urgency and competition on your home. Your home, if on the market for 275 days, is going to be way harder to sell than if it's only been on the market for 275 minutes. Buyers have a tendency to assume that newer homes will sell faster than older homes. The home that's been on the market a year instills less urgency in it instills less urgency in the minds of a buyer than a home that's been on the market only a few hours. And that's partially because of the market that we're in right now. It, it, people are, have lost out on homes that they've seen homes or heard about homes that have sold in a few hours or in one day. So you have to generate competition and you have to generate urgency. You, you generate the urgency by making sure your property's ready to go. It doesn't need all kinds of updating and stuff that you push on to the buyer but it's ready to go, it's already updated, it's clean, it's ready to show, it's photographed well, person can get in, you can show the property at, you know, when, you, when the buyer wants to actually see it. You don't have any kind of weird showing restrictions like you can only see it on Mondays from 9 a.m. till 10 a.m. and that's it. So you're creating a sense of competition and urgency. The urgency comes from minimizing the days on market, making sure the property looks really clean, pops in the photos, and it's easily shown and it's marketed well. The competition comes from also the marketing, making sure that you're doing all the right things like open houses and you're showing the property for backups after you have a contract on the house. And that is going to put the deal together. That is gonna put the negotiations um, 
in the best possible position, both for you and the buyer. And I'll leave you with this. Now, in the minds of most people, it's way more important to not lose something than it is to gain anything. A person is way more likely to to be motivated by loss than by gain. And you see it all the time. The news understands that. Major media outlets understand that because if, if they didn't, They'd be providing you good news all time, all, at all times on all stations, on all news outlets. But they don't do that. They try to give you bad news. They try to let you know that the world's falling in on you, that you have all kinds of loss going on, and people are motivated by that. Um, that's an example. The news, the news takes advantage of that. You can take advantage of the fear of loss by creating, again, the sense of urgency and competition. People are more likely to make an offer on your home. They're more likely to stay involved, you know, maybe after a rocky inspection report comes back or a rocky appraisal comes back if they're afraid that somebody else is going to take their house from them. So let me end with this. If you guys are at all interested in getting your valuation on your home, don't trust the county to tell you what your house is worth. Don't, don't trust the government to tell you what you think your house is worth. You need to get an expert, a professional, to tell you what your house is worth. So if you're interested in doing that, don't go to Zillow. Don't go to Trulia. Don't go to your county website. Don't ask your friend. Don't ask your neighbor. Don't guess. Go to estevens.reesnichols.com. And if you're watching me on Facebook, I will drop uh, a link on Facebook and uh, with the, with, so you guys can easily click it. Some of these other platforms, you're just going to have to go to estevens.reesnichols.com. That's E-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S dot Reese, R-E-E-C-E-N-I-C-H-O-L-S dot com. There's a contact me button up there. Click that, put your information in, and use the word C-M-A in the comments. And I'll be able to send you, either electronically or by mail or whatever you want, a report to give you your home's value accurately so you know what it's worth, you know what your home equity is, you can use that. Um, for you know your own financial internal purposes, if you were thinking about selling, you could know what you would walk away from the table with. Uh, and if you're not, if you're just trying to do maybe some tax type stuff, or you just want to know what your net worth is, you'll be able to figure out your home equity. So it's Edward Stevens from the Stevens Group at Reese Nichols. Again, if you found this video useful, this live stream useful, feel feel free to share it once I upload it. Like it. Drop your comments below. I'll try to answer any comments. Um, after the live stream's done. And I appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, enjoy your day. Catch you later. Bye-bye.
multi-platform streaming before, so I want to welcome everybody who's here. Um, you'll probably see me 